welcome to episode 257 of TechSync, hosted by myself, Justin Vincent, and Jason Roberts. Well, we have a special guest here with us today, Ben Reyes, and uh, he's actually recording the show with us live in uh, my front room in Pasadena. Hey, Ben. <laughs> hey there. <laughs> Glad to be here. Welcome to the show. And uh, Jason, how are you doing? Doing all right. Good. So, Ben, you've, uh, you've been listening to the show for how long? God knows. It's been, it's been several years now, I think. I, I pretty much listened to every single show that you guys have recorded. Wow. Oh, so you're God, totally, you poor you're guy. totally <laughs> burnt out on us. Right. Well, um, and for anyone listening to the show who is either new to the show or who is unfamiliar with the name Ben Reyes, we've mentioned him a couple times because Ben took my advice about buying Tesla back about a year and a half ago, mm-hmm. around $30. And we had some funny back and forth. Uh, at the time, I think Ben emailed me says, "Hey, like, I, 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 I like your, I agree with your, your argument about Tesla investing in Tesla. So I put in a little money, put in like fifteen hundred, but it's dropped two dollars. So I think I'm going to sell it, and maybe if it goes down further, I'll buy cheaper." And I, I said, "Ben, look, you're not trading; you're investing. Don't." Right look at the market that closely just if you believe in elon musk if you believe in the strategy if you believe in tesla put your money investment in walk away look at it six months or a year from now but this is a three to five year thing at least right and uh then uh i guess it was probably like i don't know six months later five months later uh and uh tesla kind of jumped up to like 80 bucks and i i just happened to think of ben and so i emailed him i'm like ben (laughs) <laughs> Tell me you didn't sell. <laughs> and he's like, not only did I not sell, I put my life savings in the Tesla. <laughs> I'm like, all right, first of all, that's completely irresponsible. Yeah. But second of all, you're my hero. <laughs> that is awesome. <laughs> that is awesome. So is that right? Like, how much did you end up putting in? So, um, like, I have the, the stats here. Um, and I put in around 10,000. So I put in a thousand pounds. Uh-huh. Um, trying to convert it into dollars but ended 1. up putting 10,000 pounds in 10,000 pounds so, so 50, about $15,000 so I have it here so um, I have about uh, just trying to get here so 462 shares um, 12,000 pounds worth and now it's currently valued at uh, uh, 58,000 pounds and that nice. goes up and down. <laughs> well, you know, it's been down a little because it hit, it got up as high as about 260, 265. Mm-hmm. And as it always happens, anything that shoots up that quickly is going to stall out and drop because, because what's, what happens is, you know, is it becomes, as things start to, as a stock or even anything in the market, Bitcoin. Uh, well, Bitcoin, anything that starts to go up, it's the, it's the, it's the supply, demand, greed, fear and greed dynamics take over. It's not about, it becomes untethered to basic fundamental um, economic principles, yeah. right? And, you know, especially in, in anytime you're talking about growth companies anyway, you're not really thinking that hard about like, what's their debt to equity and what's this and that? It's like, look, you know, there's huge opportunity here. You, you kind of have to think about it a little bit differently anyway. So, but anyway, when things go up that fast, you're like, okay, the, the things happen is people, the, people start going, oh no, I got to jump on board, I got to jump on board, right? And eventually... Is you run out of people who want to jump on board because the price gets really high, right? And it starts to stall out. And then the people are like, oh, crap, I'm going to take some of my profits now, 
right? So some people start taking profits, taking profits, or in some people who never got in, they're like, look, that thing has really gone up fast. I'm going to start selling it short. But how do you know what that plateau is going to be? Well, you don't really, but I'm just saying when anything, you know, and sometimes things can go up a lot higher than you think. That's why selling short can be dangerous because you think it goes up, maybe it went up to like $70 or $80 and you're like, I'm going to sell this short, right? Yeah. <laughs> it goes to like $130 and $150 <laughs> and you're like, all oh, the pain, <laughs> you know, 200 right. So, you just don't, you don't know. But that's why it's so much easier to invest than is to trade, right? You just sit back and if you fundamentally believe in something, you're like, oh, that's kind of interesting. Like, you know, all, all you're looking at as an investor at, if you fundamentally believe in whatever it is you're investing in, you don't worry about those things. You're like, well, if it falls back enough, I'll just buy some more on discount, right? So, but anyway, to finish what I was saying is, as people start telling their profits, then it starts going down and people start getting freaked out who don't fundamentally believe in in the company who are just there looking to make short-term profits. And so, then everyone starts selling and then it starts dropping and everyone's like, oh no, you know, it starts everybody's running away and pulling their money out, you know, because they want to take, at least leave with the profits they had. And then it gets down to people to who start thinking, oh wow, things are starting to get cheap again, right? Yeah. And but there are always different people who are at different time scales. There are people who are trading inside of ten minutes. There are people who are tra- trading inside of a you know a day or two. There are people who are trading inside you know weeks and months. So one person who looks at things as noise, right? Like if you're trading two or three days and you don't care too much what's happening inside of ten minutes, that looks like noise to you. Well, if you're trading inside a couple days and, almost, and someone else is looking over a period of like trading inside a couple weeks or a month, that just looks like noise to you. Like, how can they trade inside of that, right? It's like a fractal, right? So, mm-hmm. and then, but when you're an investor, you know, whether it's $260 or $220 or whatever, and you're thinking three to five years, you're like, eh, you know, I don't really care where the people who are trading short-term are like, holy crap, it's crashed. You know, it's gone from 260 to 220. It's, yeah. you know. That makes and, sense. And, um, and that's why my recommendation to you you have to make a choice. If you are a trader, if you're a short-term trader and that's what you're doing, you better know what you're doing. You better be care you better be willing to lose all you you have because most people who become short-term traders usually the first time around lose everything they have until they learn lessons about money management and risk management stuff and and actually managing their emotions and all those kinds of things because the way you lose money is by acting like everybody else and giving into fear and greed. You have to do the opposite of what else is doing. But anyway, you make a choice, are you a trader or if you're an investor? But if you're an investor, only invest in things you really understand, really believe in. Put the money in. Only bet what you can afford to lose. Walk away. <laughs> has it has it gone down at all, or has it only been up since it's, you put it it's, in? It's gone up and down. So there's been two occasions where um, probably the the price has come quite dramatically down. How, how did it make you feel? Um, well, initially it was uh, I lost fifty fifty pounds on the on the initial trade on the thousand pound, and I'm like, oh, it just went fifty pounds. I, I could have waited just like a couple of hours or something like that. And then um, and then so I just listened to to Jason's advice and practically don't really pay too much attention to the to the price. But now it's it's a stage where um, if it does go down, uh, I'm not losing any money at all. Yeah. Um, and now I've also diversified in terms of the other investments I'm looking at. So, um, so yeah, my money's in all different places. Well, can you just pipe me everything that you invest in and that you all the diversification diversification you're doing? Just pipe that to my email address, and I'll put in a grand in all of those things. You will not, I will, <laughs> Mister One Share at Tesla. <laughs> Well, the the worst thing is the thing I actually bought Bitcoin. I bought three Bitcoins. I bought at like seven hundred. And it's now down to five hundred. So I'm I'm trying to I'm trying to follow your advice and just be yeah whatever whatever whatever. But 
You know, yeah, have, you you have to you 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 shouldn't invest if it's going to cause stress. Right. If it's right. causing stress, that means one of two things: one, you put in more money than you can afford to lose. Right. Yeah. I, I mean, if you put in fifty dollars, you would not care. Oh right? no, of course. That's not. what you want to do. You want to put them out that you kind of don't really care that much. You know, um, I or at be- least or at least you at least it's not going to be emotionally overwhelming for you or distracting. I can't believe that putting in 15,000 from, you know, Ben's from Ben's perspective. Like I said, completely irresponsible. Yeah, it's but, totally, <laughs> but totally awesome. <laughs> <Because> you, <laughs> but if, if, if you look at uh, my perspective, um, I didn't really have any that much risk. So I had the money, but it's not like I've got kids, I've got a mortgage or, or any of that. I've got a fairly stable job. Right. Um, so, so for me, uh, I, I didn't expect it to go up so so high. Maybe I could have made like a, a couple of grand here or there, you know, from ten thousand in. Uh, but there wasn't too much risk if I if I did end up losing that. Well, you know, it's 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 very similar to why it's a good idea to do startups and stuff in your twenties to take these big swings because you can't afford to fall flat on your face. And the worst thing you're going to do is sleep. The worst thing that's going to happen is you're sleeping on your buddy's couch for like three months. Like, that's the absolute worst thing that's going to happen. And that'll probably be pretty fun. <laughs> I mean, but it's like college. Like, dude, I lost my job out of money. And they're like, all right, sleep on the couch. You're like, that's going to kind of suck. But it's, you'll look back and it'll be kind of fun. So that's like the worst case. And, and that's why it's great to take these, the, you know, it's like called swinging for the, uh, the, the... Swinging for the fences? For the fences. It's like you're swinging for home run, not to get on base. You shouldn't be looking... I, at least, if, if you're of this personality type, you know, if you're like, hey, I don't... I don't I like a little excitement. I like a little adventure. I can take the risk. The time to do it is in your 20s before you're married, before you have kids, before you have mortgage, before you have a career to like manage and create. You know, it's like, screw it. Like, go for it. And that's what Paul Graham's always says. You know, it's like, you know, what do you got to lose, man? I mean, the worst case that's going to come out of it is you'll make a little less money than you would have made at your other job, but they're not going to pay that much anyway because you're in your 20s. And as far as the world's concerned, you're not that valuable yet, mm-hmm. you know? And so it's not like you're giving up a quarter million dollar salary. It's like you're giving up a 50 or $70,000 salary or maybe a little more. But when you're in your 20s, you don't really, especially if you're living in an urban area, you kind of don't need that much. You, get, you have an apartment, you have some you know, roommates, you go out to dinner, you go out drinking, you have a couple of things you do. I mean, what the hell do you need that much money for? You can live without it and still have a really fun life. So live cheaply, take the big risks. And what Ben did is, okay, if you, he's, he's got a great job that he's at Zendesk. It's like, okay, I'm playing it a little bit conservatively there. Made some money? Screw it. Swing for the fences on this one. And, you know, he got lucky and are fortunate, I say, and, and so far it's working for him. Yeah. yeah, that's great. <laughs> that's How are your other investments? Doing? <laughs> so I, I I have um uh, stock in Facebook which uh, Jason has uh sold um on the IPO. So I waited for it to to drop. Uh, yeah, to drop down. Um, and that's doing fairly well. Yeah. Well, what's it up to now? About oh, I don't remember. 60, Something like sixty or seventy. So yeah. would you would you sell that kind of earlier than the Tesla to kind of get out with some profit or? Are you thinking long term? In terms of, I'm thinking long term for Facebook. Facebook as well. So for Facebook, I I really do believe that it's becoming a um, a platform or the, the the key to all of our sort of social communications. Um, and for a certain generation, it's just really. Oops. Sorry. Um, 
And for for the younger generation, and especially those who are on on the same level that that I am, yeah, it's just pretty much everyone spending so much time there. Um, and it's how I do a lot of my networking and communications with people, and they're just all on. But isn't that Facebook. like uh, the the a generation kind of younger than you just aren't using Facebook at all? Well, that's that's an overstatement for sure. I mean, there there's let's just say they're seriously kind of thinking that it's like the you know the MySpace of. But, but of today. if you take a look at it, look at look at LinkedIn, for instance. Not a lot of kids on there, right? But it's it's. Um, you sign up to LinkedIn for a, a specific purpose and also a specific life stage as well. Um, oh, I see. So if you yeah. consider it, maybe you might be on Snapchat early on in your life and you might be using these other social networks that are tailored towards a younger demographic. But then as you mature, you might want to keep in touch with your family, your relatives, your co-workers. Then generally, um, you, you may see more and more. So Facebook, but it's, it's a kind of life stage thing. That makes sense. See, the... the I think the key um, thing to recognize about what Ben is doing is he's investing in things that he fundamentally understands, has thought a lot about, and really believes in. So if the price goes up or down 10 or 15 or 20 percent, it doesn't really matter to him too much. He's like, I, that's just noise to me. It's like, that's, that's, that's market dynamics. Um, and, you know, if it goes down cheap enough, hell, I'll buy on a discount. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's how like a lot of the really successful investors like Warren Buffett being one of them operate. They have liquid cash. So when they see opportunities, when everyone else is freaking out because everybody is sheep and nobody really knows what they're investing in or why and everybody runs away because of a short term drop, he just like, thank you very much. Buy that up because I understand the value. I understand the strategic advantages it has or competitive advantages. And, you know, he's waiting. He's just waiting for those opportunities, but he's patient. And I think that's the key. And that's what I've been trying to say on the show is like, you know, invest in things that you fundamentally believe in and understand that you've been willing to like, you know, do a lot of reading about. I don't mean you have to read through their financials so much, but like, you know, because that's less important, I think, even than what he, what Ben is doing. He's really thinking about how does Facebook work in the larger scheme of things through demographic changes and over time. So he feels like he understands it. Maybe he's right. Maybe he's wrong. But at least he believes in his his thesis and he can withstand market volatility mm -hmm. if you don't haven't done the research you don't have the confidence in your conviction and you're gonna you're gonna flee as soon as things drop and you're gonna lose money like all the rest of the sheep so is there anything else you've invested in you've got facebook and tesla um solar city so solar city that's <laughs> another jason how one. is it that one <laughs> um that, that one's doing okay not as well as facebook though um, which is interesting. So I came in slightly higher time around sixty dollars, um, and I'm not too sure where. Oh, it's Solar City. Yeah. Oh, so you came in a lot like because when we were first talking, it was like eighteen dollars or something. Yeah, right? I came in. Uh, well, not quite sixty dollars, but it was it was definitely not thirty dollars. It was over that, slightly okay. over. Um, so I came in a little later, but I'm I'm still holding on to that one for a very long term. I I don't think it's going to realize its potentials until way way. Out. So I like agree completely. 10, uh, 10 years plus uh, time frame. But the other one that I'm looking at at the moment is currently uh, Alibaba. And there's, there's been quite a lot of hype here. Um, and it's a, a Chinese company that uh, they have uh, pretty much like eBay, mm -hmm. um, but everything's all direct to the manufacturers um, or at least more direct. To so the it, that's international, isn't it? It's between, say, for example, England and China and you order... I don't know, a bunch of tablets or something like that mm -hmm. through Alibaba, well, not right? not quite tablets, but... 
what, what, what kind of thing can you order? Um, pretty much pretty much everything. So I guess you could order tablets, you could order electronics. So I've ordered chargers off there. You can order clothing, pretty much um, anything. I've ordered even uh, mining rig equipment for uh, <laughs> mining. Uh, so you use coin. it as well. I suppose that's another point about the investment. Like so, something that if you use it, obviously you've seen why it's good. Yeah. Right. But my thesis in that is that... Um, w- as we progress, especially with manufacturing getting easier and easier, it will um, we will be more closer to the manufacturers and to the people making uh, the the goods. Um, so that's something that that I see Alibaba being a a, a, a sort of key holder in, in in that sort of arena as well. So did you sell Tesla, or just when you had more cash, you bought these other things? No, no, I, I still have Tesla. I still have. Pretty much every every stock that I bought, I haven't I haven't sold. sold. So you just as you get more accumulate more cash, you're like, oh, I'll put these. So you're just building your portfolio over time. I like see. I think Ben That's is going to clean up. Like yeah. five years from now, yeah, he's, he is. He's, it's good. He's going to clean up because you know he's doing it right. You know, um, he's 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 investing in a world that he understands and thinks a lot about. And it's going to be cool. And he's doing it young, right? Well, how old are you? If you don't mind me asking, twenty five. Twenty five. Yeah. So, so I mean, yeah. I mean, it's like he's starting young because you know they always say like. You always hear this advice, like, you know, right after you graduate college, start putting $100 in the bank every month. And then by the time you're, you retire, you'll have a million dollars or whatever it is, you know. And, you know, that's one conservative and very pragmatic way to do it. But he's like, I'll put more in, but I'm going to put it in lots of different growth stocks that have huge potential at upside as opposed to just putting it in some mutual fund or, or, or you know, savings account. It's the Ben Reyes fund. I like I like the Ben Reyes ETF. I'm like, yeah, what about v- Bitcoin? You you bought a bunch of Bitcoin too. Yeah. So um, I, f- I forget how many do I have, but it's over it's over ten. Um, nice. So, what did you buy in it? I, I bought in at various prices. So uh, uh, originally I bought in the uh, initial high up to two hundred dollars, um, and I bought pretty much at the peak. So. I, I know how you feel about buying um, buying Bitcoin at a very high price and then seeing it crash the next day. Um, so that pretty much happened. Um, and then I also bought when it crashed. Nice. So but now you're now you're sitting pretty on that one as well. Um, I mean, even with the five hundred. Yeah, 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 it's so not that's good. It's 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 not bad. I'm I'm still trying to um, acquire more Bitcoins. So I also have about a thousand pounds worth of uh, doggy coins. Or Dogecoin. <laughs> Dogecoin. Like that. That's cool. Yeah, I, I think one of the things to think about stuff when you're going to buy into stuff is um, unless unless you spend a lot of time think, watching it and really starting to get a sense for the market dynamics. Because sometimes if you watch something close enough time, and these really, some, a lot of traders do this, they develop an intuition about like when it's a little overbought or a little oversold. Like you can just kind of... They're better than a lot better than 50-50 in sensing this thing is overextended and it's going to crash or whatever. But... So you can do that if you're willing to spend the time watching the price. But that's very distracting. And for guys like us who spend most of our time thinking ahead with our heads in code and thinking about it, it's probably not a good way to spend our time. So the next best thing is to just kind of buy into it, average into it over a period of time. You're not going to hit the peak. You're not going to hit the low point, you know, but you don't you don't just go, oh, my God, I'm buying it. Everything and that's a technical right term called averaging, is it? Averaging in, yeah, yeah volume weighted. Sometimes <laughs> the... So, uh, yeah, they call that averaging in, um, and there's something called the VWAP or the volume weighted average price <laughs> and stuff. So, but anyway, it's, it's just a good way to, um, to, to mitigate risk. If you're thinking, you know, longer term, 
you know, and you're going to, let's say that you're thinking like, I'm thinking three to five years. Well, then you can average in over a period of months. My future brother-in-law had an interesting point to make about Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. He said that he wouldn't like to use Bitcoin because he could never borrow it or lend it in his opinion, because if he borrowed it today and it was deflationary, then it would be really annoying to pay that back in, you know, five years time when it was like exponentially increased. And in fact, it's kind of an interesting point because could could Bitcoin ever become a really great currency if it can't be lended in the same way as a regular currency? What do you mean it can't be lent? Well, it can't it can't be lent because did I say lended? Um, it can't be lent because it's just too it's too infl- it just becomes worth too much more. So to repay back, it's just it's difficult. Like if if you if you borrow dollars, like when you want to pay that back no, in ten years, it's, sta- it's, it's usually currency. less, right? Well, it's stable, but also it's inflationary. So you're you're usually paying back less. Do you know what I'm saying? Because it's kind of worthless. Mm-hmm. So does that break it? Does that break the fact that it's a currency? Because lending is such a huge part of the way that economy works. Well, okay. The bit, Bitcoin does not have to be all things, all people. I want to hear Ben's yeah. thoughts on this because I know yeah. he spent a lot of time thinking about this. But I'll just give you my initial thought. It's, it's, like, a, it's like a technology. I mean, it is a technology, but it's any, like, any technology. It doesn't have to solve all the problems. Right. It's just to solve some of the problems. Even like a cell phone, as ubiquitous as it is, it doesn't solve all communication problems. Email doesn't solve all communication problems, but it can solve, it solve some very big problems for a lot of people. Um, Bitcoin, for doing instant transactions across the internet, across the world, fantastic. Um, for serving as sort of like an e-gold, like serving as some sort of um, inflationary hedge maybe or something like that. I mean, especially in parts of the world that have very unstable currencies. I mean, in the U.S., that might be something we don't really worry a whole lot about. I mean, I know there are certain financial pundits like, you know, who think that, you know, the Federal Reserve is out of control and all. But compared to places like, you know, Zimbabwe or Argentina or what was going on in Cyprus where they have a haircut on anyone's bank account over 100000 I mean, things like that. Bitcoin ha- has this store of value. Now, obviously, if you factor in volatility, because it is a volatile, it's like an asset. I mean, it's like it's like a commodity like gold. Gold fluctuates a lot. Corn futures fluctuate. You know, well, that's euro what- dollars fluctuate. I mean, all these things fluctuate a lot. Uh, you know, it is um, uh, Bitcoin is a different. So it doesn't have to serve as a a lending. Uh, instrument. I see. Yeah. Well, it's. I mean, it's being taxed as a property by the states, by the well, United States. That's exactly. That's a new. The IRS has just announced. They just ruled that. So it'll be treated like a stock. Yeah. It's like trading stocks. But people can buy and sell stocks. Yeah. Doesn't mean they, the stocks aren't. Just because they're taxing it as that, I don't think that renders it um, uh, any less useful. It just means that it's going to be a little more bookkeeping in terms of. Um, in terms of what taxes you owe at the end of the year. But if you're using certain types of uh, Bitcoin exchange, all kind exchanges, whatever, though they can ultimately track what Bitcoins you bought and sold in what order, and they can just generate a, um, a list of, of, of your transactions and therefore your taxes, which is exactly what happens when you trade stocks. So like when I used to build these algorithmic trading systems and we'd be in and out of the same stock three to five times a day, every day. Yeah. I mean, you know, you're not going to be doing that by hand with your accountant. You're just going to, you know, you're going to have a system that that uh, calculates all that. We'll go back to Ben. What, yeah, Ben. What, so what's good. your thoughts on that? Well, basically, the the lending aspect of of what my my future brother-in-law came up with. Well, um, I, I think Jason's pretty much um, hit the mark on on that one. Is everyone tries to to compare Bitcoin to cash or into into U.S. dollars, for instance, and 
Um, I, I think that's just fundamentally the wrong way to think uh, to be thinking about it. Um, I think Bitcoin as a system has uh, a, a lot of different aspects to it where they may be seen as uh, issues, for instance, uh, volatility. But then, um, because these uh, uh, issues are inherent to the to the systems, uh, such as volatility, then um, the way you implement it is uh, in, in, for instance, like a, a merchant, um, you would have workarounds on that. Because you know this volatility, you might convert that into US dollars instantaneously uh, using one of the payment gateways, for instance. So uh, personally, I don't think it's too much of um, an issue that you're not able to to lend Bitcoins, but there are some people working on the ability to, to lend using Bitcoin as a platform as well. So potentially you would be able to do that. There's, there's whole other worlds about putting contracts into there, um, uh, copywriting things all directly into uh, Bitcoin as a blockchain. Um, so there's a whole lot of other services that you can do other than just payment um, uh, through the Bitcoin network. And that's probably the most powerful bit of Bitcoin is not just the money part of it, but the blockchain and the network. But does that have an effect on the price of Bitcoin? That stuff, that other stuff? Um, in terms of... Making it go up and go down. I mean, just because the technology is good and you could do something like sign a document, would that actually change the, the price in one way or another? Not, not really. Yeah, okay. So basically, I, I get it right. Yeah. I, think, I, think what, uh, I think we could sum it up what Ben is saying is it's the blockchain stupid. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that's the, that's the real value. It's the blockchain stupid. Like that's it. Um, that's the, that's like the core, uh, technology, uh, innovation. Yeah. I mean, obviously there's a lot of innovations, but that's the essence is the, of, uh, by the way, have you changed your opinion? Is that guy, the creator of Bitcoin? Do you still believe he is or no? Satoshi Nakamura, yeah. Dorian, the guy down yeah. the street from us, lives down the street from us. In fact, it was bad. It's too bad we didn't have more time. I'd take Ben. We should take a little road trip. That'd be fun. <laughs> like, go and just drive by his house and call photos. Um, I still think there's better and even chance. I mean, I, I think most of the, um, the stylometric analysis that done, like, well, the writing, it may not be the same and this or that. I mean, because you're analyzing a formal paper versus somebody's emails or something could be a lot different. Did you, did you see the, the article about the guy, I think it was in the New York Post, about the guy who lives 1.6 miles away who was the second Bitcoin user? No. And they think that he, they, they, they took some of his writing and analyzed it and it was the closest match. And they think th- they're postulating that he was a ghostwriter. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I just think that the, the number of coincidences was so high, it would be really difficult to discount. I mean, it, uh, I can't remember the guy, uh, blanking on his name, he used to be the district attorney for New York. And he just says, there are no coincidences. <laughs> you know, right. like when a criminal, like when you, when you're, when you're like working for the district attorney's office and you're looking into potential, um, you're looking into suspects and everything like that. I mean, you see one or two coincidences, like this person just happened to be the right place, the right time, right place, and they actually knew the guy. And, you know, it's like, look, this is very high chance that this person is involved, right? But the, 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 let's just call him this guy, Dorian, right? Dorian, there were a ton of coincidence. I mean, his complete, his paranoia and distrust, hatred for the like, central bank and government institutions, his secrecy, his uh, technical acumen, his name. I mean, there was just, there was, I don't know, there's like probably 10 things. And, the, the, you know, we could be wrong. We're not 
This is because he, he has brought a lawsuit to to the paper, like a big lawsuit. So what? It's not me. I mean, it's true. I yeah. mean, yeah. I mean, so what? I mean, that doesn't proves nothing. In fact, if you're the realtor, it'd probably be a likely way to get people off, right? right. The other thing will likely be it off is like he goes and logs in through some kind of tour anonymizer and says, "I, I Dorian is not me or whatever. I am not Dorian." <laughs> like, oh my god! They, somebody logged into Dorian. Like, he? You mean he couldn't have walked in <laughs> to his own place at midnight, or even when he was out, set some, some set some email to be sent off on a timer three hours later while while he's in the middle of a conference to do that? I mean. Come on, people. That proves zero. I mean, that'd be totally easy to pull off. And I completely, I have a lot of sympathy for the um, the Dorian supporters, or the, or I should say, the Satoshi Nakamoto supporters who are offended by how this um, uh, reporter went after him. Mm-hmm. That's showing his place of address and and his license plate and things like that, and that she should have recorded the interview and got a little more context that she probably should get like a C minus for her, um, for her craft in this story. Right. I think she deserves some criticism yeah. for irresponsibility and just not doing a very good job. Um, but that, that doesn't mean that it doesn't discount that there are a lot of coincidences and there are a lot of facts that, that if this was a crime, this person sounds very suspicious. They look very guilty. Now, it could be, we could be wrong, but I don't see anyone else who comes close. And, and, and anything, nothing that's changed. And, you know, there was a, there was a video uh, I watched um, of him where he's standing, this is within the last couple of years, where he's going to the local um, city council to argue about, you know, something small, right? You know, city council, you can go and you can say, oh, I don't believe in this sign, the stop sign that you put up, or there need to be more, the park isn't getting enough, you know, landscaping or something, whatever <laughs> stupid thing it is. Yeah. Right? And he gets up and he talked very um, eloquently. I mean, he had a little bit of an accent, but he spoke very eloquently. And, you know, I can tell you from people that I've worked with who have much stronger accents than this guy, write in a way that you would not think that they weren't native born English speakers. So anybody who says like, well, he has an accent. Like, I, I, do you work with people who have accents? I do. And I can tell you that they write as well so you, or better than me. So. so you're still standing behind your $10,000 bet. I remember you made, cause I, cause I listened to it on the plane, yeah. on the plane back from Chicago. You said, I'd bet $10,000. Was it 5,000? <laughs> I knew it was a big amount. I, I'd invest, <laughs> I'd invest a $5,000. I think in that. Bet. All right, I don't cool. think we'll ever know, mm-hmm. but you know what? The next one I think we should talk about. Well, let's ask Ben. What are your thoughts? This guy, do you? Oh, yeah, he's really going to disagree with you right here, right now. Of course, I know. We disagree all day long. What do you think? Um, To be honest with you, I don't think it matters at all if this. No, I. Yeah. Or isn't. Doesn't make a difference. No, it doesn't make a difference. It doesn't make a difference. I'm just just for the curiosity. No, no, I I, I do think it's highly probable that this is the the, the guy. Just all of the evidence that's just been uh, coming out, um, and it it, it just smells like it. Mm hmm. there could be multiple people involved, so maybe he's not just the only one. But mm-hmm. I do think he has some involvement in the early stages of Bitcoin. It was very weird. The other article I was reading that, like, less than two miles away, that some, is, you know, the second person. Make to, sure you send that link. To I will. The yeah, notes, yeah. Because I, I want to read that, and I'm sure we should have the notes. Yeah. Okay. Well, what about the? There was just an article that came out that I read. Uh, I think it was TechCrunch or something, where Mount Gox. They had some, some oh. those researchers, some expert researchers in uh, Zurich, 
uh, we're doing blockchain analysis. That was awesome. I think at most 308 Bitcoins could have been lost by Mt. Gox because of the malleability attack. Um, And I mean, I don't know if that's the final word on that or not. But it's what you said. Well, my initial, the theory that I liked, I read two theories on the whole Mt. Gox fiasco that I liked. Um, the first one, the one that I talked about on the show, which I still like as a leading, as a leading theory, um, was that the, the, US, the Justice Department, FBI, whatever, in their pursuit of Silk Road, went after Mt. Gox as a enabler. I, I'm not sure what the, I, I, I'm blanking on the legal term, but they were a facilitator in some way. And they said, look, we, or we trace a lot of these transactions through there unless you want to be um, indicted, uh, indicted. For, indicted for a, uh, for a crime. I suggest we're, we are going to, uh, you know, uh, we're going to take, we've taken possession. They went to, probably went to the Japanese, uh, the Japanese, the equivalent Japanese um, uh, agency, went to each one of the uh, bank accounts that they had, uh, their cold storage bitcoins, took possession of those and slapped um, Mt. Gox with a gag order and says, if you, if you speak about this, you will be indicted under various uh, money laundering uh, charges. You will, be, you will be thrown into prison. I mean, the thing about that is, as we had said, like what, one clue to that is all of a sudden, Bitcoins will start appearing from Mt. Gox. Like they, it said, oh, we lost everything. And then all of a sudden, magically, we, we, magically they're going to reappear, which is exactly what's going to happen. Found 200,000? Yeah, 200,000 just came out of Oh, nowhere. we just found it. Yeah, just found 200,000. So that I think that really supports that theory. Yeah, I mean, definitely. So the thing about like a theory, whether it's a theory about something like this or a scientific theory is like, does it explain all of the evidence? I, I think it does a pretty good job explaining it. I mean, you know, maybe there's something that I don't, that I don't know about there's certain evidence that I'm not aware of, but it seems like it works. There was another one I read about um, a couple weeks ago. It was something along the lines of they 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 got hacked early on, and they took a lot. They took a huge loss. And what's it, Mark Carpels or what, what's the guy's name? Yeah. So he um they kept thinking that they could make it back, but they didn't want to admit that they had this stolen because they knew they would be out of business. So it's like making a run on a bank. So they kept thinking, okay, we'll use our own funds to keep making up the difference and we'll make money through transactions and we can make everyone whole. Otherwise, we're going to fail and run a business. Plus, and no so, one ever realized that Bitcoin will go to the price of over $1,000 at that time as well. Good point. That's right. So that that's mm-hmm. also a theory that could work except for the except for the two... 200,000 Bitcoins showing up magically out of nowhere. Like that, that just, just seems it's possible, but it sounds fishy. You know, it's like, you know, it's like, oh, okay, Jason, you know, I just, I know you lost a bunch of money, but I just found $50,000 in my, my guest room. <laughs> like, you really, like what? You know what I mean? Like, I yeah. mean, like, it was, I think it was found in it. the offline wallets, right? It just sounds like bullshit. But what, so, so the 358 or what it, whatever it is, what, what's that? I mean, I, so does that mean that only 358 was stolen and everything else is I don't good? know what the exact number, but I think it was like at maximum 308 Bitcoin could have been stolen as a result of the malleability attack within the last, and I think they said within like the last year or two. Like it, go, it went back a couple of years. But that, so that was, in other words, the, it wasn't stolen. 
But through, yes. through a malleability. There weren't hundreds of thousands of Bitcoins stolen through the malleability. That, that, that so once awesome. again, pointing to the the kind of IRS or whatever it is, the FBI. Not like, the IRS. So it would be the, the FBI seizing it. FBI just from yeah. something in conjunction okay. with Japanese authorities or whatever. Well, I like that. I like that idea. I still think that's a leading. That's still my yeah. leading. Well, you know, and, and there was just an article saying that he that he's refusing to fly back to the U.S. for questioning. Oh, <laughs> I would, if I was in him, I wouldn't come back either. <laughs> I think that's like you wind your wind your uh, wind up in prison pretty quickly for for some reason or another. I think it's probably to play it safe and just stay in Japan for the time being. Yeah, you know, I mean, because you know, as we saw with um, uh, what's Aaron, uh, what's his name, uh, who was MI, who took the Aaron Schwartz, right? Who took the papers from MIT, and you know, you get some district attorney or some justice department people who want to make a name for themselves. They want to make a point in a career and they're going to be a real hard ass on you. And there are some politicians who are stomping around trying to make hay over this. I mean, you could find yourself being the subject of some very unreasonable, um, um, uh, legal attacks. And, uh, you know, all of a sudden they're threatening you with 30 years in prison for, you know, 500 counts of money laundering or whatever. And, you know, you're going to plead down to 10 years or something. And it's really because they're, you know, just like we saw with the overzealous prosecutor of Aaron Schwartz. I mean, um, you know, and, and Bitcoin is in the news and money laundering is in the news and, and they associate. They, and, they, and a lot of these politicians are really uninformed and they're being very obtuse about the whole thing. And they, they just like to make political points. And a lot of these People in Ohio and Justice Department have political aspirations of one kind or another. And if they can make their make a name for themselves by doing something like this, they'll take you down. And it's not about being reasonable and say, well, this guy, he's kind of a he was kind of a numbskull and he didn't do a really good job and didn't run things professionally. And, and you know, he lost a lot of money for people, but he isn't really a criminal. They'll just say, no, we can we can scare the crap out of you and spend your life. So we're going to bargain you down to plea bargain you to seven years or 10 years or something nasty. And yeah. Whatever. I mean, it's scary. I mean, yeah. the Justice Department does, is, does, does not necessarily act fairly to a lot of people. And I think Exhibit A is Aaron Schwartz. Yeah. You know? Anyway, so um, yeah, do you have anything to say about it? Do you have any thoughts, Ben? Um, not really on the... All right. I guess it's time for a new topic. New topic. So um, <laughs> let's see here. Let me look in my uh, magic box for things. So um, pending comments on HN. You've heard about that at all? No, I haven't. What's that? Ben, have you read about it? Okay, so Paul Graham um, has been thinking about this idea uh, in order to improve the quality of comments on Hacker News. And what he finally implemented was a way that any comment that was added by someone with less than a thousand karma points is automatically pending until and it's, I guess it's only visible to people with plus thousand karma points, hmm. and it doesn't start to show for anyone else unless it gets a certain number of upvotes. So it's almost like you have to be sort of approved by the already, you know, by the big players in the community to, to get any visibility, because that way you get a lot of people creating temporary accounts and kind of trolling and 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 having a and, and how many points? How many points would it be? A thousand. No, I mean, how many points does it take to approve it? I don't. I don't think he's. I don't think he said. Because if it's one, word. I could kind of see that. No, no. But if it's why more, would it be one? One person. You know. I think it was. I mean, I'm just guessing, but it would probably be at least a handful. Like five. I'm. I'm guessing a handful. I don't know if it's. I mean, how many? I mean, what? But it probably if if you have a few people go, yeah, it's legitimate. If you if you had a few. Have you have do you do you chat on HN much? 
I almost never do. I've only time because, I've I mean, ever I only time I've ever commented. I, I I I pasted some facts to one article that everybody was confused about, and it was like it was the it was one of my best comments ever because it was like not a single reply, and it was like. 200 upvotes to a comment. Right. I was like, that was the ultimate <laughs> comment of all time. The comment to end all comments. <laughs> well, I don't know if that's a regular occurrence because like, I mean, I've, I don't know, the comments that I've done, I mean, it, they haven't really gone above five, for example, you know, and some no. of them have been contentious and a lot of people have been involved in them. They haven't really gone above five points. No, no, no. It's hard to get a lot of, um, you, but you have to add some real value. Well, that, but that's what I'm trying to say. Like, so they're going to not show comments that have, if it's below 10 points, for example, I mean, then well, it's many, just not going to get in there. How many points do you have? 3,000. Yeah, so you're you're fine. So Sandy was asking, we were talking about this as we were we were driving in the car, and and I I, and I mentioned something about her, and she's like, well, will you get to? I'm like, yeah, I, well, I got like a couple thousand points. And, and she's like, she's like, oh, it's like, it's almost like this like royalty, right? There are barons and dukes, and that's like depending <laughs> on how much you have, you know, it's like people have to have, you know, it's like patronage to get your comment. But I, I it, that's kind of how the world works, right? Like you don't get a voice until people, the gatekeepers at certain level say this person is legit and you kind of work up your, uh, work up the chain. So I guess you're getting your karma for your points as well. So if you keep on doing good comments and you keep on getting above the 10, mm-hmm. then in two years, you'll have a thousand points, and you'll be able to start. I, I think if if you were active, engaged in in comments and submitting lots of good articles, I don't think it would take a whole lot to get above a thousand. You know, I I'd mean, be interested to see what um what the the threshold is for getting that comment viewed. Yeah, well, I mean, Paul Graham says this, this is this is a moving target, right? I mean, he's experimenting with it. He's, oh, okay. It may be kind of thing that is turned on on a thread by thread basis. I mean, oh, he's trying to. He, so I if it's he, a very contentious thread. Put, push it on there. Yeah, that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, he's he he did the simple version first. This was yeah. the simplest because he didn't want to break anything. Um, but I think ultimately, if you're worried about the quality of Hacker News comments going down, um, you have to have something, some kind of approval system of some sort. And he's just built like an approval framework that can be um, sort of optimized on a case-by-case basis. But I think it makes sense. I mean, a lot of people are, and I think some people make some good arguments. They're like, well, listen, you know, sometimes somebody throws up a comment up there that's kind of stupid, doesn't have value, but the child, it, it initiates a thread of discussion that's really interesting, and you have a lot of very valuable comments that reply to it, even if the parent comment is itself uh, a, a just kind of a, a yeah. useless or trollish comment. That's, I'd like to see how it plays out. Yeah. I mean, th- th- it's definitely true that the Hacker News, like I've seen some people on Hacker News who, probably shouldn't have been on there like did seem like trolls yeah there's a certain amount of troll behavior and you don't want it to turn into reddit comments which is just like a it's just i mean a lot of the reddit comments i mean some of those are hilarious but they're (laughs) but it's really like playground humor you know it is really like junior high playground locker room stuff you know and i i know paul graham and you know the, the, the sort of the key people in that community do not want it to turn into that. They want. So, what's your analysis of this? Uh do I think? I mean, do I think it's good or bad? Yeah. Uh I, I think it's probably a work. I think ultimately, I think, uh, I think you will lose a little bit of interesting discussion at times. Anytime you cut off, you'll lose a good with the bad. Um, but I think you'll. It'll be kind of an eighty twenty thing. I mean, I think you'll lose some good, but you'll lose a lot more bad, and you'll keep the level up because what happened? What what has happened to a lot of great online communities over time is they do degrade 
as more and more people come into it and we revert to a mean level, a median, our mean level of, of discussion and thought, it just becomes like this, the, the town square, which is just a bunch of average people with average thoughts. And it's just this boring. It's like the reason people go here is because they want to deal with interesting topics and a discussion from very smart, thoughtful people. It that, seems, have, that, that do vary in their thoughts, but, are, you know, that's why I go there. I look and I go, I want to hear what people have to say about it. It seems like it creates value that future span, spammers could kind of use because they go ahead and, like, build up points for a thousand, you know, uh, accounts for a thousand points, and then they sell them. You know how they sell, like, uh, on Reddit? You know how they sell, like, Twitter, Twitter accounts uh, with, like, buy 5,000, you know, 5,000 followers. It's kind of like that, like, buy, the, buy an account with a thousand karma on Hacker News. So it creates it, it creates some value. Well, what there. what I mean, so so if I get an account that I can put comments on there, if I put any kind of trollish comments, people just download them anyway. Yeah, that's true. Right? I mean, yeah. it, Hacker News is pretty heavily policed by the people on Hacker News. Wouldn't you say, Ben? Yeah, pretty much. Um, it's just it's just growing as the, the the sites having more and more people, and it's now become a, a central hub. If you want to launch a product or if you want to launch something. Um, out there, a new startup, or you're building something, Hacker News is now that central, central place to go to get a lot of traffic. Um, so it's much more open to to gaming and to um, to manipulating as well. Yeah, I mean, you have to. I mean, yeah, the broad, it's just when things open up, people are looking out for themselves. They care much, much less about the community. Um, they, have and a they, they, they will game the system, and, and right. people have gamed it. And, you know. There's always going to be a little bit of gaming, and even people who are legitimately good people community are going to game it a little bit. I mean, we've known. Well, I mean, I, I won't pick out any names, but I've known people on the site who everybody knows, who are very, who are great people and very smart, and have done have huge points in there. Will still like, hey man, give me a a vote, right? Right? <laughs> you know, and I, I think there's very, very few successful startup founders, anyone. Who hasn't at some point or another say, "Hey, man, can you give me an upvote?" Mm-hmm. Right? I, I, I mean, you know, <laughs> everybody. And I think I remember even Calacanis was talking about like he did it once, and and Paul Graham said, "Like, hey, man, don't do that." And, and he's like, "Dude, like all of your YC companies are always doing that, asking me to upvote. What are you talking yeah. about?" <laughs> right? Uh, I mean, like, yeah, that is true. <laughs> yeah, but it's like, look, if but they have pretty good recognition algorithms. I'm always very careful, but there's a few times when people have asked me and I'll say, look, all right, I'll do it this once, but you know, I can't do it again because I don't be voted as your voting ring. Or sometimes people say, Oh, I emailed you and Justin. I'm like, Hey, you probably don't ever, if you want Justin doing it. You don't want me doing it. Right. Cause we have voted on the same thing at least two or three times in the past. And I don't want to be flagged. So I'm not doing it. If you ask Justin, leave it at Justin, but you really want to keep it at a minimum. And, I, and it's like, you gotta be very, very careful because you know, you can do it a few times with a handful of people and you better make sure it's an article that you really care about because if you do it more than that, you're going to be flagged and you're going to lose everything and be banned. And I've seen people gotten banned and lost their accounts. So it's like, you know, yeah, everybody's done it for a few votes here and there, you know, a couple, you know, once or twice a year for an article they spent hours slaving over. I get it. There's almost nobody can say, oh, I've never done that, you know, with a straight face, but be, Yeah. You don't want to. I wonder if anyone's done the opposite, written an article, posted it, not asked anyone for upvotes, and ended up on the front page of Hacker News. Oh yeah, yeah. I've done. A, I've done a number of those. Have done. Okay. So it's like it's funny. Like, uh, you know how I screwed up my Google acquisition. I didn't ask anyone, but I knew that was going to go. We were gonna read that. That's like a train wreck. <laughs> like, oh crap! Like every everybody was going to rubberneck on that one, right? You know. 
But um, yeah, no, I think it is. I think plenty of people do it because I think most people have learned not to not to ask for votes because it's so easy to get flagged and mm-hmm. it's just not worth the effort. Yeah, and especially you see a lot of people now set, uh, not giving the direct link to the, the Hacker News page um, and just saying, oh, it's on page two yep. of the new upcoming <laughs> yep. section. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just, uh, he, well, Paul Graham is no dummy. And he's written a lot of software to detect all kinds of gaming. So it's like the best bet is just to play it safe. Don't get your friends to upvote because if you guys have coincidentally voted on just a handful of things, there's there's going to be some kind of Bayesian classifier that's going to sniff you guys out and you're going to get flagged and you might and they but they'll hell ban you in a way they'll like flag you and realize that you don't even realize that your stuff isn't being shown up or whatever so it's you know, if right. you care about that kind of thing well that was that that was that one so what you're saying is you're done talking about that I think so <laughs> <laughs> all right so um I've got one you do I do you actually all right well I've got one. Go for okay, it. so you know you're saying the lock surface area. I'm saying lock surface area. No, you know you know you're saying the <laughs> oh, lock you're surface saying. area. <laughs> you're saying, quote, the lock surface area. Okay, I've I've got a saying and I I want to talk about it. So basically So you're gonna try and what you're doing is I'm, I'm gonna try Justin and launch Vincent a meme. is gonna try and launch another meme. A okay, meme so right here's now. the one thing I'm telling you. It's like <laughs> it's like you can't uh, you, you you it's almost impossible to intentionally launch a meme just like you're not you can't give yourself a nickname <laughs> you know what i mean you're like, probably you're right what you call my new nickname you're That's probably the right guaranteed way that no one is ever going to call you that you're probably right in fact they're going to call you something 10 times worse and if you ever complain about your nickname, that's the worst, because then it's just they're going to give you something worse than that. <laughs> so, okay, but go ahead. Let's, let's try it anyway. What's your new Well, meme? I was thinking about what I, what I consider like the perfect kind of solopreneur business. Okay. Okay. So, something like Buffer mm-hmm. as being a good example. But it's not. It was him and another, he and another guy. Okay, but anyway. That's, and that's, that's the reason that, it succeeded that, so well, just because, the, <laughs> because it was him doing the technical side and he teamed okay, up with solo a really pre- aggressive The, the solopreneur aspect is, is not the main aspect, right? The solopreneur okay. aspect is a sub-aspect. Basically, a small business. You're starting a small business that you can build in three months. Okay. But you have it's a business that there's a long-term vision where you think, okay, this this little thing buffer, I, you know, I could build that in three months and it's just this little app that goes in uh, browser, you know, browser extension or whatever. But maybe one day that could turn into a business where it could be an enterprise level business and, you know, enterprises could use this and spend $50 a month for it or whatever. So that's what it is. And basically, there's just starting with the tip of the iceberg. The new business is the tip of the iceberg. So I was thinking a good way of thinking about businesses is if they were iceberg businesses. That's the meme. Are you looking to start an iceberg business? Because I want to start an iceberg business. For example, Skyboard would be an iceberg business where it's just, it's, it, the, the tip of the iceberg is you can just use it to vote small little little ideas. But then the kind of, as the iceberg grows, it's, it's got more concepts behind it. Okay, so the iceberg business. All right, so let's see if this becomes a meme. Okay. All right, so it so will the- become a meme if there's a bunch of comments, people going, that is awesome. Like, uh, you know, then, then if, if you get enough people thinking that they, they just love that, that it, that it creates a visual or some kind of new conceptual framework for thinking about this, then you'll write your definitive blog post on it. <laughs> <laughs> but you can see it, right? It makes sense, right? Like, like I, I want to build an iceberg business. Doesn't that make sense? Does well, it make sense to you? Yeah, but I mean, because you start most, with the most businesses, but the, the 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 most businesses are like that. They start with solving one simple small problem, and they all grow into something bigger. Most businesses are like that. 
I would say the vast majority of businesses start by solving one simple problem. I think, I think like a, a, a lot of entrepreneurs make the mistake of starting at the bottom of the iceberg and working back. Like, for example, uh, Plugio. I think Plugio is exactly the opposite of an iceberg business. Basically, it didn't start with one little feature, one little small component. It just started trying to answer all the problems straight away. Like, for example, Epic Night. You know, like that's what that's my point. It didn't it didn't kind of emerge just with a, if an ice, the way an iceberg emerges from the water, just yeah. peaking its head. Well, basically, you're describing I, what I'm saying is you're describing most successful businesses. Most oh, businesses successful. that actually worked, that were able to get traction started with something very simple. I mean, let's talk about, uh, you know, I mean, sometimes the, the even the simplest version of the problem requires a fair amount of code isn't easy. But it's one simple thing. It just becomes bigger and bigger. Amazon, just selling some books online. Yeah. Facebook was just looking at the pictures of people in the do- various dorms. Yeah. Twitter, just Twitter. Picture, I mean, they all start They're with something. All, LinkedIn, oh, you have a little resume online. They were all iceberg Netflix. businesses. Netflix, it's like, okay, well, you can order a DVD. <laughs> They're all relatively simple. So it's yeah. just, it's a way of describing, you know, I think probably the majority. Even Google. Yeah. Was just a search and announcement. Everything else. I mean, I think that's just the nature of things. Like, obviously, you can't do, you can't go after everything in a, a, at the start. And companies that do try and go after everything fall on their face because they don't get anything right. Yeah. And you've you've said this before. I mean, I like your term. I don't know where you got it. If you've been it yourself or somebody else, but it's like you don't try and boil the ocean. Right. Right. Was that your term, or did you use it for some? No, else? I've I've heard that. that okay. Wasn't my term. But that's a great term. It's like don't try and boil the ocean. Start with something simple. Get that right. Get some traction, some foothold. Buy yourself the capital, the revenue, and the, the the revenue will give you the capital, so you have the time to launch additional. Features I like what you're saying, but you're not really linking it to to my meme. Iceberg. Iceberg business. <laughs> I, I think the problem with the with the with the term is that an iceberg sort of exists it doesn't like you know it, it, it's it's always there it just comes off well not but not from what you can see above the water so it's always there it's just being real so it's an iceberg strategy yeah it's an it's an iceberg business but it's a strategy so you're starting off with the, the yeah, small I, call part. It, I would call iceberg business call it the iceberg strategy okay because well, the iceberg yeah i don't know just, I, to, just to, yeah yeah to answer ben's criticism i think you could do with that it all doesn't right. mean it's all implemented it's just a big strategy okay all right, that's, so, that's my attempt at launching a meeting. So should we talk to, you know, I was thinking about this last night. I think I was in the shower and I was thinking like, should we talk to our listeners as like, hey, you guys, like the listeners are like, you know how the Bernie Mac show, he would say, come on, America. You yeah, know, like he yeah. would talk, he would break the third wall, talk to America or like, um, what's that? I can't remember the character's name. You ever talk about, I've been talking about the show Archer. I, I watched a couple of you know, episodes of that. And the mother who the mother who used to, who, the, the 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 woman who plays the um, mom the mother on that show also played the mother on Arrested Development. You know she's totally politically incorrect. and she always refers to all of her employees as you people. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's always referred to our listeners as you people. <laughs> that is so funny. You people. Uh, you people. All right. Um, so what do what, you people think of iceberg yeah, business? Well, what do you think? What do you people think of? <laughs> because <laughs> we can't say america because a good portion of our listeners aren't even in america yeah you guys in australia are like what are, you, what are you talking about i don't know <laughs> in america what do you think of the name texting i i don't have a problem with it what was the other one that you was um thinking of switching it generation zero yeah that that was jason i wasn't <laughs> thinking of that i i, I didn't it's kind of gone so far down the 
There's no turning back. Yeah, it's, there's no- <laughs> it's, like, it's like those people who are adults and they have really awful names. You're like, why didn't they change it? It's like by that point, by the time they're That's old enough to life. change it, they're just like, everyone's going to know what my real name is. And I think I'm even more of an idiot for changing it. Like, dude, you can't even live with your name. <laughs> you know? So, yeah. Archer, what do you think of Archer? I thought it was good. I thought it was funny. It? I watched like three or, three or four episodes. Yeah. You think you'll watch more? I had a good laugh. Yeah. I think I will sometime. Yeah. Yeah. You, have you watched it yet, Ben? No, no, no. Okay. I haven't watched too much TV. Recently. What did you think of um, True Detective? I haven't watched it yet. Oh. I haven't watched it yet. But you know, it brings me up, Guyon already ruined this part of the season of uh, House of Cards for me. Oh. He already revealed something to me. I'm like, Mara, I told you he not the big, not the big. Don't you even talk no, about it. I'm just saying. Not even. I'm just saying, like, did he don't reveal the even. big the big thing? Don't I, I don't even know if it's a big thing. But I can just tell if it was enough of a thing that okay. I was like, you didn't just say that, did Does you? Does it blow your mind? Is it that kind no, of, no, of I don't know. I'm like, see, you just like make it worse. He just always thinks he can say be clever. You like I, I feel like when I'm talking to him, you ever watch Princess Bride where the guy's like, never <laughs> You know, never uh, go up against a Sicilian when death is on the line. He's like, because you know I think this, and because I know you know I'm thinking this, and I would think this. And the guy's like, your intellect certainly is Disney. That's very funny. And like, that's what I think when he does this. Like, I'm already thinking that. I know what you're going to think to try and make me not think, and I'm thinking one ahead. So then I'm sitting there watching the show. I'm like, okay. So here's what Justin said. He's trying to decoy that, but this is really what he meant. And so, great. Now already told me everything. <laughs> yeah. All right, fair enough. So Guyon, who ruined Battlestar Galactica for me, He's like, oh, you're really fine. I'm like, what? Did you say that to me? <laughs> and then we we're talking about House of Cards. And the problem was, is I was not 100% paying attention to the conversation. But then you just overheard one little. And I, he said something. I think he thought I was talking about another show. And then he goes, oh, and blah, blah, blah. Did you see that part? And I'm like, oh. That sucks. <laughs> it's like, I can't believe you. And then, and then, of course, he's trying to be nice, but he's trying to like make up for it and trying to like disguise it. I'm like, Guyon, <laughs> you're just just making it worse. Like, just don't, just don't. It's you, you partially ruined. I have to, I have to like run like one of those programs. You know the problem that like erase part of your hard drive. I have to like, and the way you erase a memory is you try and think of lots of similar things that are not quite that, and you try and like think of all these weird similar like that variations. movie Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Did you see that? Yes. Yeah, that's so what you want to do, right? Think of lots of different variations, and then don't think about it for six months. You're like, oh, I can't remember what really happened. I obfuscated my own memory. <laughs> have you ever obfuscated your own memory, Ben? I don't think I have. You have brainwashed yourself? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so Minecraft creator says he's canceled talks for Oculus Rift version because Facebook creeps him out. Oh, i got to say. You're I... a big Oculus fan, so what are your thoughts on the... Well, I, I do like as I posted on Hacker News. This makes me sad. I can't exactly explain why. I don't have any rational reason for it. I just don't like it. But I don't even get why Facebook would buy Oculus Rift in the first place. Well, because they want to do, they want to turn Facebook into a virtual experience. Probably, they probably want to turn the Facebook social network, as Zuckerberg said in his uh, in his kind of, well, I guess, press release. He said, you know, imagine if like you were able to be with your friend in the other side of the world. So they're going to you're going to be there and then there's going to be like ads, you know, Coca-Cola. I, I think Facebook or, or Mark Zuckerberg has got self-driving car envy. <laughs> oh, right, right. So I, I think he's seeing a lot of, for instance, Google is being compared to Google where they're going off and doing these moonshots. Moon yeah, moonshots. 
and I think he's he's getting a he, he may be getting a bit of envy in in, in terms of oh we're, we're not we're, we're only building a social network I want to do something big I want to that do makes something sense different. I'm a big thinker too I can do big stuff I can do interesting stuff it's, yeah so but Facebook isn't about one guy sorry Google isn't about one guy at the top who's a big thinker doing interesting stuff it's about it's about kind of distributed it's almost like a peer-to-peer model where there's just all the little worker bees are each kind of given 20% time to go off and create some amazing moonshot concept. It's not about one big guy at the top. What you, which company are you talking about? Google. Well, first of all, they, the, the, the 20% time is mostly dead anyway. Right. A, <laughs> for starters. Um, but still, it's about, it's about kind of distributed teams thinking up great ideas rather than Serge A or the other It guys. has changed over time. Um, so now they've gone and read a lot of the 20% projects. Um, so you, you now no longer see a lot of a, a lot of products, and now the, the, they're they're really honing in and trying to um, build in a, a direction of where they want to take the company. So, on the big moonshots? Um, not necessarily on the big moonshots. They have separate um, groups looking at those specifically. It's a, what's a Google X? I mean, or something like what that. What about what about the Google project that's like a contact lens that measures your blood sugar? That was probably an acquisition that you know they had it. That's that. That doesn't seem like a part of a unified strategy to me. Just saying. But you're. I don't understand what your what your point. Is. Uh, he he just said that they were like honing their their kind of vision. Well, but well, well I, I, I see I, like I, I, loads of shit that they're doing, and I'm like, what the fuck? Where's that coming from? Right. Um. So they're not. I I think what Ben means, and he can expand on this, speak for yourself, but is is not that. It's, it's not that they're not doing a lot of varied things, but it's just not some guy in the corner like, I'm going to build a right, new version right. of, uh, you know, Facebook inside of Google or something. It's just like, okay, what are we working on? Like, let's get some ideas for some projects that we want this this apartment and these teams to be going after and, and kind of coming down more from the top. More so top down, what do you say, top down um, product concepts, not bottom up like, hey, look at what Joe built over the weekend. Right, let's right. make this. I, that's okay. Less of a thing, I guess. That makes sense, right? Is that, that makes sense? Yeah, yeah, pretty yeah. much. But uh, to your to your point, um, there's there's also different parts of the business, right? There's there's people looking at new areas or, or have been tasked at exploring new uh, new potential products or businesses. So some of the things that we we see coming out from from Google um, or, or rumors that, that come out may not be something that that that's their core focus. They may only have like a couple of guys just working on it. Okay, so big day tomorrow. What? Why? Math field day. The math oh. team has been preparing for this for the past uh, since middle of December. Exciting. And, uh, so you picked your players. Yeah. So you know we have eighteen kids on the math team, but only two teams of four. Um, or you know each school can only enter at most two teams of four. Yeah. Um, plus two alternates, and uh, so you know we've been quit. You know teaching the kids and doing them homework and tests and et cetera. And then we gave them one final big test, um, I don't know, three, three weeks ago or four weeks ago or something. And uh, to, to see who did the best and the top, the top eight are on the teams. And then we divided, we divided them up. So this is my idea. Divide them between the loud kids and the mm-hmm. quiet kids because they have to be able to work together. And initially you're like, well, should we have an A team and a B team, like the top four and the, and the next four, or should we have, Divide them up by like, you know, this kid is might be better at this kind of problems or we need one kid on each team who's good, has good handwriting because they have to explain their answers a little bit, things like that. But I, I ended up thinking, you know, we have some kids on there that are really loud and don't listen. 
and are kind of um, kind of pushy in a way. And, and then we have kids who are a little more quiet. And I say, if we put the quiet kids together, they'll at least be able, they'll give each other the opportunity to speak and, and, and contribute. You know, but if you have some of these louder kids who are just like, I know, and I'm right, and, you know, whatever. So you, but if you put those kids together, they'll fight it amongst themselves. They'll, mm. they'll, they'll make themselves heard, right? And so what was interesting is today, um, uh, you know, Ben, you know, I knew Ben was coming in today, and I said, look, if you get in early enough, you can stop in um, on the math team practice. Because we had, normally we do Tuesday, Thursdays, but since we have math team, we have the field day, the big tournament tomorrow. Yeah. We have one extra practice day today. So he stopped by, caught the last five minutes of class, That's and got great. to see it himself. What do you think? Yeah, it was, um, you could visibly see the two teams. Uh, you know, <laughs> <like> the, <laughs> the loud lot, you, you had some of the kids like on the tables, and just like, you know, just... Uh, you know, walking about like you know, just being there, um, and then the, the quiet group right there. So they were all seated very quietly and very, you know, uh, huh. yeah. It, it'd be interesting, but um, so it's going to it's going to be interesting to see how they perform. Um, we've I think we've done a good job preparing them, but it's uh, it's which one? Which team do you think is going to do better? Probably the loud team. The loud team has a little more firepower, right? Um, than the quiet team, um. But we'll see, you know, I mean, one thing we've really been practicing them is getting like there's things like you guys have when there's a conceptual problem. These are conceptual problems. And it says explain your reasoning like I'm trying to get them. You have to write. You can't say 30. No, the <laughs> cheetah will catch the deer after 30 meet, you know, running for 30 seconds. You know, I mean, like you have to, you know, they, you know, it's like it's like in the last catalyst when I said to Colby, OK, so you know what function you're going to make? How are you going to build it? How, how's, how's the function going to work? And he goes, sword. <laughs> yeah, I mean, what does that mean? So, <laughs> Which is so cute. So you have to, um, you, you know, so there's those kinds of things. Will they actually write those things out? Will they read the questions correctly? A lot of times they misread the questions, you know, yeah. um, or they don't show their work. They try, you know, they get counted on teamwork. They get counted on showing their work, on explaining stuff correctly. So that stuff all plays into it. I think the loud team has the edge, but it could be the kind of thing that when the competition starts and the heat is on, that the loud team could self-destruct out of over, over being overly competitive, mm. get a little overly amped up, whereas the quiet team could be nice and calm. It could be like the tortoise and the hare kind of situation. Maybe they'd be made a little bit louder in their own sense, you know, because the, because of the or more adrenaline. Aggressive, yeah, a little bit aggressive? more aggressive, yeah. Who knows? Or they could wilt a little bit. They may not have the yeah. confidence. I mean indecisive eh, nobody's really pushing and they're all kind of waffling and they're nervous so what did you think what was the teaching style like i'm just talking to ben here <laughs> what's the teaching style like um well uh, well they would uh, it was mainly just doing the uh, questions at the moment but um but i i think i don't know if you're going to talk about it in a bit but about the the card game oh yeah yeah i'll which, explain that in a minute um which jason has a a, a very interesting philosophy in, in um in i guess that could tie in very well into this into the classroom, I think. Yeah. So when when Ben came in, um, we were we we were George simulating the competition. We were having him do well. We we're having him do problems that they have to do in thirty minutes and twenty minutes. So we we're making him kind of run like run uphill with a weight vest on, you know. But we we're having him work in groups. So it wasn't like Sandy and I up there instructing. It was like you guys work. But Sandy and I have discovered that that the class usually works much better the more we have them doing, and the less we have that we're talking. The more we're talking, they're just like, they have short attention spans. Yeah. It's already their lunch hour. It's just like, but when they're doing stuff, they're, they're more, 
engaged and more into it. And it's actually less frustrating for us because there's nothing that's more irritating than constantly telling kids, quit talking. Riley, sit down. Yeah. McCarley, yeah. do this. Nicole, quit. You know, it's like, ah, which they do, right? But if they're already, already working on the problems, it's more, we're just kind of wandering around pointing things stuff out. Did you guys read that part of the question? Yeah. You know, McCarley, sit back down and participate. You know, a little bit of that. But so anyway, what Ben is referring to and which I mentioned in the previous show when we interviewed Nathan Hawkins about um, Conjure. His so that's why you got game. interested in card games. There's always a reason. Yep. I All don't right. just randomly get it. <laughs> All right. So I was thinking, I was trying to think of ways to get the kids used to thinking about problem-solving strategies. So it's like there's there's this book that was written years ago by a mathematician called George Polya, named George Polya, and his uh, book was called How to how to solve it. It's, and he, he outlines roughly 10 um, problem-solving strategies, like di- draw a diagram, look for a pattern, solve a simpler problem first, you know, ways to work into a problem and attack it. And um, these problems, you know, a lot of the, you know, problems in real life and problems that, um, that, that are going to be in these kind of competitions are not just like, you know, calculate the derivative of this and you just know how to do it. It's not like, it's really tricky and you're just like, how the hell do I solve this? So you need to try and think of like, look in your toolbox of strategies and try one out and, and look and say, okay, looking at this, I have a cheetah and a deer running this relative speeds. This one is this far apart. Okay, this is probably a table. Make a table, you know. Mm. Um, assuming you don't know, you know, you're not using related relates and calculus or something. So, um. I was thinking about this, like, how do I do this? And and the problem is, you know, you 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 want to get as far away from like do making them do his homework as you can because it's homework is work, homework, yeah. it's work, <laughs> homework in the name, you know, and and you, and you don't want to suck the fun out of things. So I was thinking, like, what if there was like a card game? And I and I and Magic the Gathering was kind of in my head. Uh, I think because I was up at Uber. Last time I was up at Uber, one of the guys came up to me and he's like, "Hey, what are you doing tonight?" Um, and uh, I was like, "You know, I'm, I'm, you know, not, you know, whatever." And he's like, "He's like, because a bunch of us are going to go play Magic. You remember that game?" He's like, "If you want to come and hang out," and I was like, "People still play that?" <laughs> I was like, "Really?" I, you know, I was like, "It, it didn't really interest me, but I was just kind of curious about it." And then it kind of was in my head. And so when I was thinking about the problem solving, I started picturing cards that have problem solving strategies. And so like maybe one kid would attack. The other kid with a pro- or challenge with a problem, and then if you had a, you play the right strategy card, you get partial points, or you could then solve it for full points. But um, then I started thinking more and more about it, and I was like, you know, and I started really analyzing magic and analyzing Yu-Gi-Oh and Pokemon. I started really, I read probably three dozen articles on game design and and uh, game mechanics and mechanisms and balance and power and the things that have to be in games and you know whatever. And so, you know, I've just been, it's just in my head. And so when last week we went on vacation to uh, Grand Canyon for a few days. Yeah. And so we're driving middle of the desert for five hours. Sandy is, so whenever we drive, I call her the long haul and I'm short haul. <laughs> you know, so like, you know, in truck drivers, you have long haul, short haul. So like when we're in the city or anywhere else, I drive. But if we're going like across the desert, I'm like, she drives. Because right, <laughs> right. I just affected my iPad and read. And so I'm just reading article after article, thinking and just like kind of obsessing, like, how do you solve this problem? Because it's a really interesting mathematical problem. Like, how do we make this fun uh, in, a, in a way that it's it's not just like making, I'm going to give you a problem and you're going to give me a problem because you do too much. It becomes too transparent, right? They're like, all right, so basically we're just giving each other homework problems. Like, that's kind of dumb. They're, they're not going to be fooled by that for long. Um 
but you don't want to be so far into the game mechanics that they're not really solving any problems. Like, okay, I solved one math problem in 20 minutes like that. So it's like, how can we do this? And so I started thinking, okay, like, let's imagine that you had a certain, you have different types of cards. You have a set of cards that are like your knowledge cards. Geometry, and each one would be a branch of mathematics. Geometry, algebra, number three, you know, et cetera. And so I would, I would pull cards from a deck and I would get a certain number and I would say, okay, I have two geometry cards and one number theory card. And then I would pull... I, a card from the deck, and it would say, okay, this problem requires three number theory cards plus, you know, one geometry or something like this. And if I had enough of the right resource, I could play the card. Otherwise, I had to play simpler problems that had less. And I construct my own deck because I want to use the right combination of, of problems that don't require as much resource knowledge cards, have more. But then you'd also have meta cards like reflect. So, like, let's say you played a hard card on me, and I was like... I don't think Justin even knows how to solve that problem himself. I have the same type card, but it's different numbers. I get to look at my deck and play him in double points. Oh, I see. Right. You know, things like that. Or I was adding, I was giving funny names to like insult to injury. So if you missed one, I could play insult to injury. It means I go look at my deck and for a similar one, I could double down <laughs> or, you know, just nice. all kind of cute things. And then I was also, the idea I had, and some of these are sort of transpositions of ideas from magic, like a lot of these cards are, um, like a lot of these games are. And one of them was this idea that you'd have advisor cards. So like famous mathematicians like Euclid or Pythagoras or Fermat or whatever. And you would have one of those cards and they would have, you could play them if you have a certain number of knowledge points, but they'd have like a loyalty. And so if you said, okay, I'm going to play Euclid. So anytime I have a geometry problem, I get double points against you. But if you ask me a geometry problem and I decline, I fail to solve it or decline to solve it, then I lose loyalty points. And, he, and the advisor's like, I'm out of here, dude. You're not even, I'm your geometry advisor. You're not solving geometry problems. <laughs> right? Right, right. So it's like, okay, I, I want to keep him on the board because it doubled my points, but that means I have to make an attempt to solve these problems. And how, how good are the kids at picking up the rules? Well, I haven't done it yet. I mean, I mentioned it to the kids oh, right, a couple right. weeks ago. I'm like, so guys, I have this idea. Have you guys played a trading card game? And they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like Pokemon, <laughs> you'll get right. So they all do. Yeah, I'm like, that. okay, okay, okay. I have this idea. What if we created like a math trading card? They're like, yeah, sounds great. They like freak out. I'm like, all right, all right, all right. They're like, what you can do is they're all like, oh. and so they're all raising hands. Like, oh, you should do this. Or you should do that. So they're all freaking out. I'm like, all right, calm down. So another three minutes, guys, stop talking. Okay, calm down. You know, and that's a problem. You get them too excited and they just won't shut up. Right. And they're like, and, ooh, ooh, let's go. Question, question. And they're like, can you make it to the window? I mean, Eli, I said, stop, let, let me just explain what we're doing here, right? And so then I said, all right, what we're going to do is we'll have you guys, everybody can help out with the art. And what we'll do is we'll come in and I'll create some of these different types of cards and we'll play test it and we'll see what works and we'll try different rules and see how it goes. Great. But it's just a way of having them, tricking them in a way to practicing lots of different types of problems. And, and then they're going to, because the problem cards have a problem on one side and a solution on the other. So like, I better know all of how to solve all of my problems. Because if I don't, and this guy does a reflect or a something yeah. else, then I'm going to get screwed. And then if, if like I play Ben and I find out Ben kind of sucks at number theory problems and you're like, I'm playing Ben actually, like I'm going to trade cards with you. Like, okay, let me trade some geometry problems. I need some number theories. I'm playing Ben because I know he's, I know he's keeps missing the divisibility problems. And so, you know, you guys are trading cards back and forth. I really like, like the idea. I think it's really, I really like it. Oh, thanks. Thanks. Yeah. Well, you know, D d d designing a game like this is from a um, from a uh, sort of a game me game mechanism and balance is not trivial. I mean, it's tricky. I mean, we talked to Nathan. It's hard. It took him a long yeah. time to get it right. So I'm trying to keep it relatively simple. And um, 
but yeah, I, you know, I watched a video. Um, well, first thing I say, so I've, I've, I've read a ton of articles and I'm reading, there's this guy named Mark Rosewater who's a designer, a game designer. They call it not a, like a graphic designer, but he designs card decks, which is all the game mechanics for every set of magic cards mm-hmm. that gets released. And he's written a lot of these articles. So he has a podcast and mm-hmm. he's got like 110. So he just, when he drives to work like once a week or something, he just goes off for like a half hour on like designing one set or the planeswalker card or this kind of mechanic. And he's, I'm just listening to one after the other as I'm working and just, just listen to this guy go off. And a lot of it, I don't necessarily understand that well because I haven't spent years playing magic. Yeah. I've just been reading a lot about it. So I'm trying to, I'm trying to absorb an understanding of the kind of things he thinks about. And so that's non-trivial. So I'm trying to be careful. I'm trying to, it's like, you know, when you're designing, you have like, I have a little bit of design sense, but you're not a designer. It's like, keep it simple. If you keep it simple. Can I guess that this is your current madness? It is a madness. <laughs> it kind of looks it like it. It is a madness. And it's, and it's sad to say, but, um, you know, and Sandy's dri- driving across the Grand, you know, the Grand Canyon. I'm like, hey, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? And she's humoring me. She's like, okay, well. <laughs> but so I watched a... Um, I, I watched a video on YouTube about how to create these trading cards uh, in a sort of inexpensive way. So basically what you do is, well, he used Photoshop, so he created templates, and he had his designs of his cards, his fronts and backs. And so then you'd print it at, like, your Staples or, or you know, or Office Depot or whatever. They have their good big color printers. And you print it out on 80-pound cardstock, the fronts and the backs. And then you, you, you get them lined up, and you do the spray glue, the certain kind of spray glue, and you glue them on top. And then you let it set for a couple hours and then you cut them out and then you using a paper, you know, those paper cutters and then you get the rounded cutters and they come out and they look really, really good. Mm. So I'm like, it's a way that I don't, it's like I have to go to a printer or something. It's like I can just go and, you know, and it's like you know, 80 cents a page. You're going to spend 20 bucks, print out a bunch of these cards and then we can go in and test them with the kids. And the I lining said, up is a bit complex. Yeah. Well, what they did is he said, you line up, you hold them up to the, the window to light come through you get them perfect and then you staple the sides to one oh, nice. side so it's perfect and then you spray one side with this certain type of spray glue you let it sit for two hours and then that was the trick that's good yeah and it seemed like it seemed pretty easy and you know um i'm sure sandy gently she's really good with the craft stuff yeah but um what was i going to say about it uh yeah i, I mean anyway i'm 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 just uh I kind of have the madness because it's like a problem. It's an interesting <laughs> problem. Can I yeah. make this work? The mechanics of it. Can I the make the, the cards yeah. work? Can I? Oh, what I was going to say is I um, I was like, well, I'm not going to go into Photoshop and draw tons of these things. So what I did is I set up a um, an HTML, you know, CSS, create a template. And then I have a little, and I just write JSON that describes a card. So I just have like nice. this giant array of cards. I just type in name, you know, points, description, the type of card. And then it chooses the right template and then fills it out. And so I just write a little JSON. A little, you know, it takes me, you know, 10 seconds or 20 seconds to write out a card. And then I just hit refresh and it's just, so I have this huge list of cards. And so what I'm going to do is, is uh, sit down with uh, Sandy and say, okay, well, let's just come up with like, you know, 30 triangle problems real quick. We go in some of the books, right? You know, level one, level two, level three, and level four, you know, cards. And uh, and then just do a bunch of, oh, here's a bunch of divisibility ones, and here are a bunch of fraction ones, or here's a bunch of whatever. And then and then we'll just print them out, and then of our cards, take them to the kids and see how they play. Now, the problem one's going to be cards as well. What's that? Are the, problem, are the problems going to be cards? Like, cause you, you had, yes. you described the other ones. I was thinking like, so there's four kinds. There's a knowledge card. Yeah. You have six types of, of knowledge, you know, 
algebra, arithmetic, geometry, number theory, logic, and there's one more, but I'm blanket. Probability and statistics. Right. There's six. There's a six knowledge curves. There's and, kinds of which covers uh, the full spectrum of the kind of things that they they basically covered up through algebra actually. So when they do pre-algebra, which is what we're going to call algebra, um, you have the advisor cards. Famous mathematicians has a little description of who they were and what they you know how many you know they're an al algebra and they did algebra and number theory whatever. So you have those two. Then you have your sort of what I'm calling the meta cards which is kind of similar like sorceries or instance in magic, which things that like change the mechanics of the game, like, right. you know, insult, injury, stepping stone, <laughs> possession, whatever. And I may call it like a trick card or something. I'm kind of playing with the name. And the uh, last one would be the problem cards. Now problems will be cards are the only ones that will be two sided. So the problem on one side and the back would be like a hint. If there's a hint strategy, if they can name the strategy and get partial points for harder problems and then the written solution. That sounds good. And then any problem that has like a lot of variations in that type will be like problem 257.1.2. So anything after the dot means it's a variation on the same card. So hmm. that means I can play. So if I say if I have insult to injury and you miss that one, then I can get another one just like it and double down. So, you know, you have nice. to know how to do it. You So you better read the solution to that thing because otherwise I'm going to smack you in the face with another one, <laughs> you know. That's good. So anyway, it's just my latest silly <coughs> obsession. But that's what got me interested in talking to Nathan because I, I saw his Kickstarter campaign and I saw how beautiful the cars were. I'm just like, how much do you have to pay for that? That sounds... His, his interview was great, by the way. You like yeah, that? Yeah, yeah. Nice, nicely done. Yeah. Um, I, thought it, I, thought it, I thought it went well. I mean, I only listened to the first half um, to make sure the audio after that, I just kind of ran out of time. But I thought it sounded all right, the audio and... Yeah, he was. He's a real, you know, he really stuck at the business, yeah, to make it happen. But I mean, I guess it's still, it's still, it's, it's not like he's just launched some it. massive business. But it's, he's, it's, he's just launched it, and I think it's going to go well. Yeah, I, well, I think I like a lot of businesses that 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 have a chance to do well is that it's something that somebody really, really cares about. He really yeah. likes it. Um, he really wants to do it, and. Um, it's a huge market, as I mentioned in the show. I mean, yeah. it's a, I mean, the trading card business is a multi-billion dollar market. It's yeah. a multi-billion dollar. It's not some silly little thing. I mean, Are you thinking monetization for your own? Well, game? not really. I'm like, okay. <laughs> I, well, you know, I don't like to think that far ahead because it just kind of ruins it. Yeah, it's yeah, like, right. You want to have fun. It's like, let's yeah. just... Let's just create a bunch of cards for the next year or two. And let's say that, you know, we get these kids over the summer even playing. Maybe we can get them together. Instead of saying, come on, guys, we're going to work to have class in the summer. It's like, hey, let's have and you know, a, 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 a kind of like a tournament yeah. of ice cream. And we'll come in on a, you know, on a, on a one or once or twice a week and, and get the kids. And they're all playing against each other. And we'll have ice cream or pizza. And the kids, believe me, kids are easy to bribe with that stuff. So you bribe, you <laughs> bribe with pizza and ice cream <laughs> or Jolly Ranchers. So, but, you know, we play, you know, do, do the card game or something. So... Yeah, and then like next year, um, you know, and then let's like, say we do it next year, keeps going. I mean, it'd be the kind of thing if it worked really well. I could, I could, um, some of the other schools, math teams say, hey, why don't you guys try these out, see if it worked for you? Yeah, you know, and and who knows? I mean, it kind of reminds me of, of Richard Feynman, who who he tells this great story about how, and I can't remember exactly the problem. It had something to do with the spinning of a top. Like he was trying to calculate when the spin of a top starts to when a spinning top starts to wobble. Can you predict? whatever, or something along those lines. And it was one of these toy problems. And he just, and he's talked about in other interviews of how he, once he's a problem gets presented to him and he doesn't know the answer, he just can't let it go. <laughs> and so he's just playing around and playing around with this top problem. And then he starts to make some progress on it. And he goes to show some of these other 
physicist at Caltech or wherever. And he's like, oh, yeah, check this out. And they're all kind of like, what? Like, <laughs> why are you, you're a big shot physicist screwing around with this top problem, right? And he's like, oh, well, it's interesting. You know, they're just like, whatever. <laughs> you know, I'm going back to my quantum mechanics or whatever. But then it turned out later that the the techniques or the way of solving that problem played directly into how he solved the problems that he won the Nobel Prize for in quantum electrodynamics. <laughs> so, oh, I'm pretty sure either it was for the Nobel Prize or for other big problems, but he said, you know, it was key. So it's like, when you get on an interesting problem, don't start thinking about it in big terms that this has to be a big deal. I'm going to make a billionaire company. I'm going to win the Nobel Prize. I'm going to, you know, it's just, sometimes just solving a, simple, a small problem that's interesting is worth just solving because it's an interesting problem. Mm -hmm. And, you know, maybe only 18 kids get some value out of it. Maybe we try it and I give it, I try it for a few months and the kids are like, this is stupid. You're <laughs> stupid. This is stupid. I'm not doing this. Okay, fine. But actually, I learned a lot by studying these games and these game mechanics. It's been kind of fun. It's fun to just do stuff. And every time I do something later in life, I always have analogies like, oh, I can look back, well, that's this time I did this or I did these other things. Like, I always learn lessons and have a broader understanding of things because I do stuff. Yeah. Not because I read articles in Hacker News. Yeah. Those things have minimal value. It's like, oh, yeah, I read this and that was kind of interesting. It's usually when you get obsessed with something and you go and you do it, you read about stuff, you research, you do stuff, you learn lessons, and then maybe it ends, you hit a brick wall or you run out of gas on it, but then later it's like, oh, yeah, like this all plays back in. Yeah, I think that's a, an iceberg strategy right now, or business. It's an iceberg business. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I mean, the last thing I was, I'm trying to think of a name for it. Oh, so I have to think about cool that the, the current the current two leaders Sandy's not well I don't know what Sandy is is one is polymath, you know polymath is a math is like a mathematician or physicist who knows lots of different branches. Uh, another is is just calling it genius. I kind of want to make it seem kind of cool like Genius Battle Academy or something that kind of sounds and kind of give it a story kind of like an Ender's Game backstory <laughs> like we're trying to get the 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 uh, the the best problem solvers the genius physicists and scientists like this is how they they battle it out and to save the world or whatever and it's all about <coughs> getting to more and more advanced levels or whatever so there's kind of a backstory where they in magic or the other things they call it the flavor like what's the what's the flavor what's the story you know i mean it, it creates a richness to it yeah it makes it more it makes it a lot more fun you, like last thing you want to just feel like it's a flashcard game mm -hmm. like you want it to, you want to give it some um some uh uh, some uh, what's texture. the word texture? Yeah, That's right. And uh, I was kind of looking at a couple of comic books I thought were drawn really cool, and I'm like, I would love to have like that look, like you know. What about the artist who we know? You could work with him. Which one? You know the guy Scott was the, the guy who did the Any Food logo. Scott Jackson. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now the only problem with Scott Jackson <laughs> is he tends to do things for free when I want to pay him, and then I feel guilty. So like I don't want to ask him uh -oh. because then I'll tell him, ask him how much, and he'll be like, ah, it's free, mate, and I'm gonna be like. Dude, <laughs> I have to pay you. It's like problem. He's such a nice guy yeah. that he would end up like just doing it for free, and then I would feel really guilty. But yeah, he would be a great person to go to. I just have to insist on paying him for his time. Yeah, but he's he's fantastic. So let's see, what time is it? it sounds great. Well, um, we've done. We're kind of coming up to an hour and a half. So okay, I have to go. Actually, we've like, done an hour and a half. You have to go in two minutes. Let's see if there's anything. Um, key uh you know um I, you know i'm gonna i'm speaking of math i'm gonna i'm gonna finish off with one kind of cute thing right. i was just reading about this how 
Do you know that, you know, as they say that, you know, a prime number is a, is a number that can only be divided by one and itself? Y- yes. Yes. So like seven is prime. Six is not because it's divisible by two and three, right? Okay. So that's right. the prime number. So the prime numbers, you have composite numbers. But one is not a prime. It's divisible, you know, which is weird because back, they, they actually had back in the early 1900s, there was a number of mathematicians where we're listing out one as a prime number, right? And it was like one of these things that really is a definite, you know, it's like kind of a definitional thing, like is Pluto a planet or not? You know, it was a planet for a long time. And then the astrophysicists got together at this conference in like 2006 and they decided, you're not a planet, Pluto, get the hell out of here. <laughs> okay, fine, you're a dwarf planet, but get lost, right? <laughs> and everyone got really upset about it, right? You know, and because as they began to understand at a deeper level what characterizes a planet, they realized, well, if... In that way, if we, we, if we follow this definition, uh, Pluto really isn't a planet. So anyway, I thought it was funny because they said back before 1600, I guess it was not, one was also not considered a prime. So there's this period of time where it was considered a prime from like 1600 to 1900 and early 1900s is kind of started phase out. It's not a prime. Before 1600, one was not a prime because one was not considered a number. Huh. It was not a number. One was just it. It was a thing. It only was a number once you got the two. (laughs) (laughs) Finally, one is not a number. I thought that was really interesting, right? What do they think zero was then? You know, I don't want to get into that, but uh, I think there's a entire book on that, on zero. But one was not considered a number. It was just like itself a thing. I mean, it was not. It was only when you got to multiple that something was considered a a number. So, but it turned out that the reason that they, that they, is uh, that they phased it out as like, I think it's the fundamental theorem of arithmetic, which is that every um, composite number, I guess every number in a way, has a, um, a unique factorization, which is like if you factor, and break a number into its factor, so like six, it's uh, two times three, right? Um, uh, and, but if you add one in there as a, as, a, as a unique prime factorization, a unique number of primes, you can... It doesn't matter. As it, you can change the order, but that's it. So you can you could factor um, 100 as 10 times 10 or uh, 2 times 50, but if you break them all, but then if you take, break down 50 to 5 times 10 and you break 10 times down to 2 times 5 to just 5, you break it down all the way down, it comes to the same number of prime numbers, the same. But if you have 1 in there, it could be 1 times 1 times 1 times. Like it's not unique, right? Because you have a bunch of 1s in there. Yeah. So it screws up their little prime factorization like right. the fundamental theorem of arithmetic doesn't work because now you got ones in there and now it's not unique anymore so they're like one you're out of here you're screwing so that's up why our, they threw out so like, why did they bring one back they did it's out well so one is now one, one a prime or one not one is prime? not because it just it screwed up it screwed with their uh, fundamental okay. theorem of arithmetic so today one is not a prime it's not one is not a prime okay which i've had repeatedly have to mark darian off on his prime okay darian one is not a prime. <laughs> like, you know, it's like the one kid, he keeps thinking it's a prime. It's like, I know why you want to think of it as a prime. And it seems like it's a prime, but it's not. <laughs> but at least now I can tell you why, as opposed to just shut up on the teacher and say it's not. <laughs> Which is basically what we did before. <laughs> so, well, Ben, uh, it's been awesome having you here. Cool. Yeah. It's great meeting in person. Thanks for having me. And uh, anything you want to add on the, before we close out? Uh, no, that, that's pretty much it. Um, it would be nice to know what's, what's happening with the show now. Like, are you guys still going on? I know you wanted to bring it in more regularly and then change your name. And then... <laughs> as soon as we started doing weekly, then we were like, well, do we want to? 
Well, I mean, I, honestly, it's 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 been uh, just you know, I mean, talked about it last show, and and uh, a good part of it is I've just been really really busy with stuff. I mean, I've as I we talked about at lunch and as we talked about on the show is I've completely overbooked myself. I mean, 2014 needs to be the year of no for me, mm-hmm. but unfortunately, has just been yes. I got I keep saying yes to everything, and I have to say no. And I keep trying to find things that I can cut to make my life a little simpler and have a little less stress and be able to do a better job or a more timely job on the things I've already committed to. But that said, with any foo, no, any any foo is axed. Any foo is axed. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I'm sorry, sorry. with uh, with texting, um, I think we'll just play it for by ear for right now. I mean, um, I like doing it. Um, you know, Justin's easy. He he could, he'll do it or not do it. It seems like what he said to me offline. He could take it or leave it. I mean, right? You prefer to do it, but if I don't want to do it, you're okay too. Pretty much. That's a good way of describing it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I think for the time being, we'll keep doing it. I mean, I just don't want to make any promises. I'm not going to give promises or obligations. I'm trying to get out of the obligation business. Right. <laughs> obligations. Like, we're definitely going to 300 or we're definitely going to 500. Like, let's go. But we've we've talked about but it. But what about the... Because you had a big push to do weekly um, a while ago. Are you still... On that, I think. I think. Or are you we, more I, just like do it when we want to do it? I mean, I think we should shoot for a week. If we can't do it, we can't do it. Right. Right. It's because because we have too many obligations that are that are just you know, too important. Um, you know, I mean, one thing I have to say is that we got so much positive feedback when <laughs> I mentioned on the show that I was kind of so. What Ben, you hadn't listened to the last show, but what happened is one of the reasons that we didn't do show for a few weeks was on top of us having a lot to do. I mean, particularly. Um, it was just one comment that just really pissed me off and it just put such a bad taste in my mouth that, you know, sometimes, and I, and I just probably overacted, but you know, I guess I have a thin skin in that way. And I was just like, screw it, screw everyone, screw the show. I'm done. I don't need this <laughs> crap. Right. Which is just dumb. They, they call that in gaming or rage quit, you know, like they delete all their crap and leave. And I was like, what the hell has happened? Like why the lucky oh, yeah. stiff, he does a rage quit, you know? Well, that is, yeah. It's yeah. It's kind quit. of a rage quit. Um, and and then when there was so much positive fee- feedback from emails and comments and a lot of people, uh, you know, were actually a little concerned that we'd, that we'd kill the show because it was like, you know, their favorite or one of their favorite shows. I felt really bad then because I was like, oh, man, it almost seems like I'm fishing for positive feedback. But, and I felt really guilty, like, oh, God, I shouldn't even talked about it because now I feel that was just not. The main cool. thing is that, that I got from the feedback was that it's actually made a difference to people's lives, like. Ben, like it's made a difference to your life you financially know? as well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's 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 what I mean. I mean, it's like, but I mean, a, a lot of people have even said that that you know, it's changed their mind and it's kind of forced them to think about becoming a consultant or just living their life differently, because we live our life differently. And so that was what one guy in particular said. Yeah. So I, I think that's it, very positive. It definitely rings true uh, to me. It's been how many years now? It's 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 a ridiculously it long time that that. A lot of, I guess, the listeners and also myself have been listening to it. It would um, be very weird. It was like your friend just moved away to another country and didn't really ever talk to him again. Yeah, yeah. yeah right. it's like, wow. But we, I guess, on behalf of all the listeners. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> on behalf of, the, of those people. Half of you. Oh, you people. Sorry. <laughs> I, Engl- I English Englishized it. <laughs> but yeah, we, we really appreciate what you do, like week in, week out. Um, sharing some of your stories, um, sharing what you do and what you're currently working on. You're fairly transparent. You talk about what's working, what's not. And it it allows people out there, especially if they're not from 
um, either centrally located hub, they may be somewhere far off in another part of the country or, or don't have access to, you know, meeting up with people. Um, it, it's definitely a valuable uh, resource and, and tool out there. Well, awesome. Well, that's a really nice. Thanks. Yeah, thank you. Well, I mean, thank you, people. Uh, yeah, <laughs> thank you, people. <laughs> no, well, you know, um, that's that's one of the main reasons that I like doing the show is that when we actually meet people, or you know, or we hear even we hear f- from email or comments is actually meeting people in person. I mean, we've met some incredible people. We have mm-hmm. a lot of. I mean, Ben is. It's been awesome hanging out with Ben, and you know, I, I, I just it's it's just. Uh, it's it's great, you know. And I tell Sandy, you know, like Sandy would she she'll read the comments, and sometimes she'll see my emails, and she'd be like, "See, see, yeah. like, you know, who gets this kind of feedback? Like, what, you know, you know?" Because she's just like, she obviously thinks I should keep doing the show, you know, or, or that we should keep doing the show. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's worth doing. I just have to grow a thicker skin, I guess, and not worry about it if something irritates something me. else I like about it for for my life anyway is that like as I do stuff. Um, it's kind of like a consistent thread and it's kind of nice to have, it's almost like a, like a, a diary. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like, Oh yeah, that's what we're doing. That's the consistent thread. So it's nice to have it in that sense. So for the, for that sense, I mean, you asked me before and I said, oh, I'm happy to do it for the rest of my life, you know, but, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you know, I mean, whatever, like, yeah, well, I guess one, one of the thing it does for me at least is it, um, it, uh, it sort of allows me to, uh, articulate some thought of poorly formed thoughts, just like I'm unable to articulate now. <laughs> ironically, uh, it, it does. It 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 allow. Once I talk about it on the show, it makes it a little more real. Right. It's kind of like you know you hear people talk about like right. You should write like basically you should blog because it makes you think more clearly and and you know put your kind of thoughts you know you know in a in a more consistent form or whatever. But uh, our filled out form. But I think the show does that. For me, I mean, I'm too lazy to blog about every damn thing mm. I'm doing mm. or thinking about. But I could certainly sit here and run my mouth for a couple hours. You certainly can do that. that <laughs> there's plenty of evidence to demonstrate <laughs> that I could do that. So, I mean, I could probably go for another two hours if I uh, if I didn't have other stuff I had to do. <laughs> but um, so that it does. That's that's really that's that's one reason to continue to uh, top everything else. All right. But well, uh, yeah. So. Unless. Well, Ben, hey man, it's great having you on the show. Yeah, uh, it's been great meeting in person. It's it's honestly, I'm kind of um, you know they say humbled. I'm humbled that somebody would listen to that many shows. Yeah, you know, and and stick with us that long. Like that's really cool. It really is cool. It's impressive. Like, that kind of stuff when I hear about that or when I get an email from it, it puts me in a good mood for like days. <laughs> it does. Like yeah, when I think of you know when I get an email from Ben, he's like yeah, I invested in Tesla. So I'm like that is awesome. Like that it does. Awesome. It really puts me in a good mood. I love. I love it. If we can, we actually do something that has a positive impact on on people's lives, and it's real. It it, it does. It makes a difference. It's like so. In fact, yeah. you know what? Why don't you just like you people? <laughs> <laughs> Why don't you people just send in some emails and just let us know of the of anything that you know that we've discussed that's had some kind of impact? Well, that would be good to know to to cheer to keep Jason happy. Unless he's ruined somebody's life. You're like, you told me I should have consulted <laughs> and I quit a great yeah, job and my wife divorced me. That would really be You know, but you yeah, like, oh no. <laughs> oh, wait, I like the this. you people thing. I'm going to use that. <laughs> I really people. like that. All right. Well, I got to, I got to, uh, I got to get out of here. So let's, uh, yeah. let's uh, close this thing. We, we done? We all good? We're good. All right. That's a wrap. We're out. Awesome.